Hello, friends. Welcome to the Free Indeed Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hansen. This is going to be a very special episode of the podcast because I have a very, very dear friend on with me today. She's sharing her story of what pornography did to her marriage. And the biggest reason I wanted to do this was because I think it's essential that we hear and share from the perspective of the woman in a relationship. You will hear what effect this had on her marriage and on her personally. You'll hear pain and triumph in her voice. But most of all, my prayer is that you'll hear hope. Her powerful and painful story still has hope and still speaks to her. And I pray it speaks to you today. I'm really looking forward to sharing, so please listen to one person's story that I hope will help yours. Today, I have a very special guest, someone who um, I care about a lot and someone who's been in my life for a little while. And she, not he, has been through a very amazing experience, um, a traumatic experience, a difficult experience, an experience that has um, changed her Uh, ultimately though, the reason why she has agreed to be on this podcast, we've spent a lot of time talking about this, praying about this and a lot of hours talking together about her experience. And the reason why I believe this is really, really important is, is for the next person out there, especially for the wife, but you know, also the guy, you know, I always have the guy in mind. Um, and so I want to make sure that uh, this this special episode of the Free Indeed podcast is telling the story of my friend here. We're going to do our best. I hope I can do my best. We're not going to name names in this podcast. You know my name. My name is Mike, and I am the host of your podcast. And obviously, we don't have Kirk Samuels here today. And uh, But my friend here, who um, does prefer to stay anonymous, and that's okay, has uh, been through um, a divorce a little over a year ago. And she has been through a time of a lot of sadness, a lot of grieving, um, and a lot of tears. Um, and it started long before uh, the divorce happened. So I want to thank you very much for, for being with us today, for being with me today, and really uh, being vulnerable today and sharing part of your story today. So welcome. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for those listeners as well. And I hope this can uh, provide some uh, encouragement or direction um, in your guys' journey. Yeah. So you were married for how long? Uh, Almost nine years. Okay. Part of your story, I remember you telling me there were red flags even before you were married. Would you like to share any of those? Yes. um, There were red flags, actually, that came out uh, during our premarital counseling. Um, I had unfortunately learned of my ex-husband's addiction to pornography. And unfortunately, uh, this is where it gets a little tough for me, but um, unfortunately I had dealt with it in uh, my own family um, with my my dad and and my mom who uh, passed away when I was 19. And I saw just the destruction that it had on us kids and and, and me personally, especially, um, being that I was so close to my mom. And I saw the effects that it had on her and, and her image and her esteem and her confidence. And uh, so it's, it was sensitive to me prior to going into this, this marriage. And I, I had doubts. I had questions. I had um, insecurities of was this, was I going to be able to get through this? Unfortunately, I feel like it, um, 
the addiction kind of has followed me most of my life because I was previously engaged. Um, and uh, my fiance at the time uh, also had a very, very, very deep founded uh, addiction in pornography. And I um, ended that that relationship uh, and and really felt like it was it was the best thing for me. So when I was in the premarital counseling and I had found out that it was a part of his life, um, I struggled. I prayed. At that time, I I was uh, a Christian and um, I I grew up Catholic and and walked away from the Lord when uh, my mom passed away as well as the rest of my family uh, walked away and and I was very blessed to to come to know the Lord and the beginning of uh, two thousand I think it was two thousand two. And uh, from that moment on, my life had changed, and I was able to give everything, every doubt, every insecurity to God. And so I prayed about it often and and felt like this was something we were going to be able to overcome, but mostly because I didn't know the extent of it. But you knew there was something going on as you went into that, into your marriage. Yeah, I did, and... And I remember sitting on the couch in my old apartment and talking about it. And I never really got a confirmation that this would not be a part of our marriage. I never got um, a commitment that this was not going to be a part of of our marriage. Um, and I, I struggled with that, in fact, so much that I actually almost called off the wedding the day before. So... You did not have a commitment when maybe your heart was telling you, you need to get a promise from this guy that he's not going to do this. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for the promise because if I, if I had that promise, I, the number one reason that I fell in love with this person and that I chose this person aside from feeling led by the Lord was honesty and integrity. Uh, that was something I didn't have in my previous relationship. And that was my number one a quality that I was looking for in an individual, as it was his as well. So when we met, it was great because this was, I felt like I really could trust this individual. I felt like I could really, um, honesty and integrity were just, just at the, the most important thing in our, our relationship. So when he, when I couldn't necessarily get that commitment or I couldn't get that, I forget what word you used, <laughs> Promise. Um, promise, yes. When I couldn't get that promise from him, I had doubts. I had concerns. Um, yeah. Okay. Through the years, were there other red flags that arose as you got to know him? I think there were things that that I questioned often, but I, ironically, it all actually did seem to stem from this addiction, be it the um, the arguments and the lack of intimacy um, between the two of us and uh, infertility. And for those of you that maybe have not gone down that journey, uh, infertility is, is very, 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 very challenging. And um, when there is a lack of intimacy, infertility becomes even more challenging. I, I know I've known you through some of that journey. I know it's not been all nine years of it. And I, I've been with you in some of those difficult moments when you were pregnant and 
when the pregnancy didn't go as planned. Um, those were, those were hard moments that, um, I, I counted a privilege to be a part of, and I know they're not, they're not easy. Um, I want to go back to, and there are a number of people I'm thinking about who might be hearing this. And I'm thinking about the, the young couple, maybe even the young lady who hears this, who's maybe dating a guy and she's got some doubts. What should she do with those doubts? If she just feels them in her heart right now about this guy. I absolutely believe I didn't believe in counseling. Um, but I absolutely believe in individual as well as couple counseling. Um, and working through it and working through the effects that it has, talking about it, being open about it, because that was the one problem in our marriage. We were never open about talking about it. It was the elephant in the room. It was hidden in the closet. It was not something we talked about. And so I would, I would really encourage somebody that if they, if they have concerns or if they have doubts or if they have any intuition that this may be a part of their relationship, that they, that they confront it and that they, um, go to, to go to counseling and be able to put it put it on the table. So there's you'd say there's power in bringing it out and talking about it. Absolutely. Okay. And that's what I always advocate with my story. It it I would say neutralize that power because for you guys listening right now, it is a part of your story. And for you couples listening right now, husbands and wives, your marriage can be stronger if you decide to bring this into the light. It can be. Um, and I, so I'm not hearing you say you, you if, a, if a young lady's having doubts or if a, if a fiance, a bride's having doubts and wondering about this, this guy, you're, I'm not hearing you say abandon the relationship. I'm hearing you say give it a chance, but also at least give the guy a chance to bring it out. Absolutely, because I believe in the power of healing, and and who can who are we to underestimate the power of the healing that the Lord brings to to people? And and you know I'm not perfect, and there were things that He healed me from, and that He continues to work in my in my heart um, with. So yeah, I don't think it. I don't necessarily. I mean, I I suppose it depends on on the degree of it, and it also depends on the relationship, like my my previous relationship my previous engagement, there was lying and and there was, uh, you know, dishonesty going on. And so that was just another example. So there were multiple other things. But with, with my marriage, I had felt like this individual and in the premarital time period, I had felt like, you know, maybe the marriage would change him, or maybe having kids would change him. Because unfortunately, in this industry, these are these are people's daughters, sisters, nieces. Yeah. Um, so I remember the day you told me, I'm kind of fast forwarding here. I didn't want this to turn into premarital and early marriage counseling, by the way. I'm not a counselor. I'm a hospital chaplain. I'm also a guy trying to help other guys. Uh, I guess the thought that came to mind though was, you know, young ladies, if, if you're wanting this guy in your life and you're willing to have him in your life at any cost, you really need to check that. And you really need to, um, have the conversation. There's a, unfortunately a highly like high likelihood Christian or not people that, um, your man is looking at pornography. Um, and so it may not be a, a full fledged addiction, 
double life kind of thing. My story is that it was a habit and a, and a nagging just baggage from my previous life of really no moral boundaries. And it was just a series of bad choices often, more often than not. It wasn't, I was living a, dibble, a double life kind of thing. Unfortunately, um, sometimes that, that carries to itself though, especially if you're trying to build an entire life of lies, that does become a double life. And it's not that difficult of a path to go down for, uh, for a guy to try to build a life of lies, trying to deceive um, the people around him, uh, especially the people closest to him. And I'm, I'm thinking that's what happened with you. Um, there were, there was lying that happened, whether outright or behind the scenes and subtle lying that was happening. Um, and I remember when I would address the lying, it was, well, if you don't ask then I'm not lying. Right. And that was hard because I never, I, I did not bring it up very often. I would say only a couple of times a year I would ask and unfortunately, in the nine years that we were together, every single solitary time I asked, it was yes. And I almost could tell there were time periods where it was worse than others. And I could tell only because, like I said, there was no intimacy between us and there was put downs and there was, I was never good enough. And for so many years in this marriage, that's what I was made to feel is that I was never good enough, that I was nagging and I was this and I was that. Um, my, I've since been healed from some of that and the healing continues, but, um, thanks to counseling, but yeah. Yeah. I, I'd like to, as much as you want to not, you know, you go as far as you're comfortable. Okay. I'd like to at least ask you about how that felt for you as, as the wife. Was there this sense of someone else in the relationship as you were absolutely on that side? Absolutely. You know, um, just to get to know me personally, um, when I was in college, I was, I, w- I would not describe myself as promiscuous, but I, I didn't know the Lord. And um, uh, unfortunately, I had, I had lost my virginity. And um, and then I came to know the Lord, like I said, after just uh, the year after college. And I made a commitment and a vow to the Lord that I would remain what I considered as, you know, a a second virgin or a, a new virgin under the, the Lord um, until I met my, my husband. And I was able to honor that even even through the previous uh, engagement. And that was one of the issues with, with that other individual is he knew where I stood and he didn't care for it and he didn't necessarily believe in it himself. And so that was a red flag right there. But I was able to stay pure and stay true to myself and stay true to that commitment that I made to the Lord. And um I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot what your question earlier I was going. As the years went on and you realized pornography was a part of his life, did it feel like there was another person in the relationship? Absolutely. Because I had waited, you know, seven years. Um, And so I will never forget even our honeymoon and how difficult it was for him to be intimate with me and me always feeling like, you know, I wasn't good enough or I wasn't pretty enough or I wasn't sexy enough per se. And, um, and so I did describe, I mean, I felt in my heart, I never verbalized it with him, but in my heart, I felt like it was having an affair because I felt like it was sexual relations outside of the marriage bed. 
So one of part of the language that Kirk and I have used and will continue to use, and he originated this, and I don't know if you've heard this before. He calls it in his book, and you know we'll do more podcasts around his book, um, the IP mistress, and he personifies this in a very real, I think, very thorough and pretty good way, where this is a another person, literally, basically, not literally, I guess, physically, in the bed with you and your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, he brings, or she, for that matter, but the person consuming porn brings that IP mistress into their marriage bed. That is absolutely true. And not to get into details with you guys, but there were times where, you know, we would be trying to be intimate. And unfortunately, I could tell his mind, nothing was on me, nothing that he was, he was having, trying to, you know, put the fantasies in his mind instead of me in his mind. And, you know, it got to the point where I could tell he didn't, need the intimacy with me because he was fulfilling himself in other ways. And so the marriage bed became the sleeping bed. Mm. As that happened again and again, tell me how that felt for you and how it can, where did it go? I guess I'm just going to stop with that. How did that feel for you? It continued to get, um, it's, it was destructive. It was sad. Um, I thought, I even questioned the Lord. I said, gosh, you know, I abstained for seven years to wait for the man, the man that you would bring to me. And yet my husband and what I felt like, you know, you brought together. And yet this isn't the way that God designed it. This isn't, but, you know, I've got to be honest, the conversations I would have I was always made to feel like the lack of intimacy in our marriage was because of other factors, not because of the pornography. So on the receiving end of this lack of intimacy, you number one felt neglected. You felt less than you didn't feel worthy. Um, And he always blamed or it seemed like it would be not blamed on the true reason. And partly, I would imagine he blamed you. Did the blame ever fall on him? Yeah. So ironically, when um, the f- the first time that it came out, after we had gotten married, the first time that it had come out, and I had almost wish I had checked in on a monthly basis, maybe even a weekly basis. Instead, I checked in on a yearly basis. But... um when he would, when I would, I'm sorry, one more time. What was your question? Um, it's okay. Track. It's okay. Um, did, did he ever own up to it? Oh, in yes. Terms of, sorry. Thank you. It's okay. Yes. Uh, in the beginning of our marriage, the first time he felt horrible. He cried. He just loved on me. He tried. I could see the, the genuineness in him. So it gave me encouragement and hope that this was going to either stop. Um, and what's ironic is in those nine years, that slowly changed. The, maybe the second time he got caught, he would say he would feel bad and he would cry or he would you know, hold me and just tell me it was okay and he was so sorry and this isn't what he ever wanted to do. And 
and he knew how destructive it was. And he also knew how sensitive this was because of my whole past. I mean, we're talking about, you know, having this a part of my life, unfortunately, for 30 some years. And um, he, that things quickly started to change over the years. It's, there was no longer the apologies. In fact, the last not the straw that broke the camel's back, but I'll never forget Labor Day of last year was when um, he got caught again. And I think that to me was the straw that broke the camel's back because we were trying to be intimate. We hadn't been intimate in probably six months and we were trying to be intimate. And I could tell, I, I could just tell I, it, there was absolutely no interest, no turn on, no excitement whatsoever, no enjoyment, no. And it was ironic because I would always say something like, you know, from everything I'd always heard, this is not, I mean, this is, this is, m- most guys want this. And he would always say, I'm not most guys. And that would be his response. And I struggled with that, but that's where the destruction came because that's where in my mind I started saying it was more about me. And um, I will never forget the last time at Labor Day. So it was a couple days, maybe a week or two later, and it was in the middle of the night and we were in an argument about it. And he told me, that I needed to go get counseling because this was a part of his life and that it was going to be a part of his life and that I was the one that needed to get counseling because I didn't know how to deal with it. I will be honest with you. In a lot of ways, I didn't know how to deal with it. I dealt with it in anger. I dealt with it in checking out. I dealt with it in internalizing. You know, I went to counseling. I still continue to go to counseling. I've been going to counseling now for over a year for it. And uh, we give it the Coke bottle analogy. You know, you just keep putting it in, putting it in, putting it in, and then it starts getting shaken. And eventually the pop or the top comes off. And when the top comes off, that was me. I just internalized it. I, I mean, I would feel, I feel like it was a nightly basis that I would ask God, why, why does he not want to touch me? Why does he not want to kiss me? Why does he not want to hug me? Why does he not want? And so I would think, I'm going to try to lose weight. I'm going to try to be happier. I'm going to try to not be nagging because I want him to be intimate with me. I want him to want me. So, guys, I want you to hear. I want you to hear how she's feeling. Your pornography... (laughs) consumption is not without a price and not without a cost. And don't think that your wife isn't seeing it, feeling it and noticing it. Even though my friend and her husband didn't talk about it, it was obvious in in the relationship. And it's obvious to her in what my being the outside person looking in, um, I was finding myself very angry at this guy. He was a very nice guy, by the way, a likable guy up to this point. Anyway, I really like being around him. When I learned of this, it did really get me angry, especially from what she 
just said where he said that she needed counseling to deal with it because he wasn't going to stop. That's very destructive. And she thought she needed to change herself when maybe there's some things she could have changed about herself, but he needed to own this guys. You need to own this. The change has to happen with you first. If you want your marriage to last, if you want to have a relationship that will not fade away, you have more control over this than, than you realize. And so we're leading up to the, you know, the, the season that became actually even more painful for you. Um, I, I know you guys can hear it in her voice. I'm seeing it on her face. Um, when, when you told me that you were number one first, you were separated, and then you told me why, um, I actually had no clue that, you know, this day would come that, you know, I wanted to do a podcast a while ago, but there's no way I was thinking back then that you and I were going to have this conversation. It was only maybe a couple months ago that I thought about this, but uh, let me, let me just do, I want to do one more backtrack question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and see where it takes us. And that is what, what advice would you give then to the young couple or the young lady specifically? Cause that's what you were at that point that maybe are young in the marriage. Um, you, you've already talked about it some, but is there anything further you'd say? Cause as of right now, you said, get it out there, talk about it. Is there anything else you'd want to share with a young lady who's being courted by a guy, being pursued by a guy, or the young couple that's just getting started, but it's, it seems like there's something going on? Is there anything else you want to I share mean, with I talked about its openness, and that all kind of leads with communication. But one of the things that kind of always irked me was at one point in his, in one of our moments where it came to the table and um, he had talked about how he wanted me to be his, his go-to person when he was having this. And I struggled with that because I didn't feel I was strong enough. I didn't feel like that was my role and it should be my role. Now I was more than happy to, to help him in any way possible, but it was almost like he didn't, he wanted to keep it between him and I and not, I'd ask him to talk to his men's group at church. I'd ask him to talk to his friends. I even asked him to talk to his family about it. He was very superficial in when he, when he did talk about it. I have since learned over the, the last year. But um, I think just besides the openness and the communication, I think there really does need to be check-ins. I think there needs to be check and balance. I think there needs to be accountability partners. I think there needs to be, it just, it can't be something that is just stuffed and internalized. Yeah. Um, I would, I always circle back around to this for, for this podcast. And that is if, if you know that your guy needs help, that's what we're part of what we're here for. We have Kirk's class. That's a six week class. We can, we can jam into a weekend wherever you might be around the world listening to this. Or if you're in the Denver area, we've got a class coming up. Uh, and it's not for a little while yet, but I offer coaching. Kirk offers coaching. Uh, you guys, you got to be able to reach out. But um, to be able to have the communication and, and openly talk about this is so huge and so important. It is. It is because even when we would, it, it, you know, we stayed together for nine years because after it surfaced, we would 
we would talk about it. It would be pretty ugly and it would be really hard on me. I would just cry and cry and cry and cry and ask God why, why, why. And then we would we would talk through it. It it wasn't always productive talking, but I felt like it gave me a sense of peace. I think one of the things that I I struggle with is um you know I have no doubts and I don't know how I don't I'm not in the the mind of a a male but um you know I feel like he was he was very quick to leave the house when we were having arguments and he was very quick to leave the marriage bed instead of talking through things and I think that that probably propagated things because it was an opportunity to go, you know, be alone in his car, be alone in his office, be alone in the basement, be alone. Right. For for guys, there's a variety of reasons why guys consume porn. One of them is to medicate some form of pain. And you might have known him enough to know that there was some event or events oh, in his life. Absolutely. Yeah, I do believe. I mean, I have since learned only from some um, documentation that I found in our basement, but I've since learned that this was going on in his late teens. So we're talking about a 30, possibly a 30, you know, five year addiction here. Right. Um, So that, that for me, part of it was probably, uh, I mean, for most of us, in fact, I know all human beings want intimacy. And for us guys, we don't want it, I suppose, any less than women. And we find ways of trying to get that intimacy and pornography is one way to do that. It's a very superficial and destructive way to do that, but it's how sometimes we do it. And sometimes we don't know any different. Um, it's just the easy way to do it back when, uh, when I was a teenager, the easiest way was magazines. The second easiest way I suppose was, um, tapes, VHS tapes, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it was, it was still a couple steps you had to go through to get there. Uh, and today, it's almost no resistance. Um, if you have a phone, it, it's it's available to you for free. And it's a free and unlimited drug that works inside the brain um, that, that gives you the same effect as very many drugs does in this world. But we have a way in our class to talk about um, Kirk's class, the class. I don't know how Kirk likes to classify that. But, um, you know, we our brain is its own pharmacy. Um, and we can produce some of those same drugs that we try to use to medicate that pain, uh, by exercise, for instance, by growing ourselves, for instance. Um, so I don't, I'm not asking you to relive your, your separation and divorce is share as much as you like on that. What I'd like to move into now, we've been going for about a half an hour. Um, I had a conversation with you a while back. And uh, actually, I look back and it was actually sort of funny the way this the whole thing transpired. I did not plan on spending as much time as I did with you. Um, and But I, I ended up spending nearly an hour with you. And I asked you, I have been thinking about this question for a while. And I'm going to ask you again. <laughs> and I know you know what's coming. But I had been thinking about this question for a while leading up to when I actually walked into your space. Uh, and I asked this question. So it is now about... Um, what, uh, 13, 14 months 13, removed. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I want to say somewhere around the year time anniversary or so, or the year time of that time when the divorce happened, 
this was the question I asked you. I said, what would you tell yourself that many weeks removed? So you came to me four or five weeks when you two were separated. We didn't know how it was going to go. Ultimately, unfortunately, it ended up in you two divorcing um, because you saw that as the, the only real path to go with. But, and that was not an easy journey. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you tell the person and what would you tell yourself now? And the reason why I say this is funny is because you said, well, I would tell myself this. No, I would tell myself this. No, I would tell myself this. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember what you said. You said you would say to yourself. So, but right now in this moment, now we have even more time since I asked that question, you know, originally, what would you tell yourself? Um, you know, four weeks out from that, that, okay, he has left the house. What would you tell yourself? I think I have, um, it, this may have been even different than when we, when we spoke in my office, but, um, I think what I've learned in the last year, and I would love to have gone back and told myself because it took almost a year, I'd say probably more like nine months, 10 months, I would say it's not me. (laughs) Um, My confidence was horrible. My self-esteem was horrible. And today, God is healing. He has healed many wounds. He's going to continue to heal. It's going to be a lifelong healing, I can tell you that much, because there are moments and days that I have that, that are harder than others. But I would have told myself back then, it's not me. I'm not the reason. I'm not the cause. I can't take and own all of it. I can own my part. So in part of the healing, I have owned my part. My part is I didn't know how to appropriately react. I didn't know how to manage it. I didn't know how to confront it. I didn't, or truly I didn't know how to confront it because what I did is I buried it. I buried it and I let it destroy me and who I was. And through counseling, I have been able to talk through so many different scenarios that have happened. And again, I, I own my part. I'm okay with that. I have, I have owned it and um, I'm in a really good place with that. But I would tell myself, you know, it's not you, Kim. You don't, you can only own your part but you don't have to own his you don't have to own his addiction you don't have to own your your feelings of inadequate inadequacy um that would probably be one of the biggest things so it, you you'd tell yourself that it wasn't about you because it was his porn consumption his porn habit. I was so, I was always hearing how everything was my fault always. But yet I also knew, you know, the kind of woman that I was, I was faithful. I was loyal. I was, um, I was caring. I mean, I'm a nurse, you know? Um, and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I know how to deal with it now because back then I would bottle it up to the point that then I would have anger and bitterness and resentment towards him 
So then it was hard for me to be, you know, loving, loving and nurturing and caring wife because, you know, I had this anger and bitterness. And he, I think he expected me to just forgive and forget. But then when it, it keeps coming and it keeps coming, you know, the unfortunate part of it, as I would tell you, I, I do believe to this day, I don't, I'm not sure that he would own it. I'm not sure that because he was always in denial about the, about what it had the potential of doing and what it had done and what it does in our marriage because he was so focused on my reaction to it and my reaction. I will say though, man, you can't not see God's hand when things were rocky in our marriage. And I want to say it was probably midway through our marriage and we had already had our little girl. She was real, real, real little. And um, my neighbors had wanted us through our church to go to a marriage conference and was they were going to watch our newborn. And, you know, I, I had a lot of trust issues and I, it was a little hard for me to leave my newborn, but I felt I loved these people from my church. And so I trusted them. They were neighbors as well. And so we went to this marriage conference. It was actually at the Pace Center. And I had absolutely no idea that three quarters of this conference was going to be on the effects of pornography on a marriage. And it, I was so thankful. Mm. I was so thankful because the things that these two, they, they're both counselors, but they're also husband and wife. And what they were sharing was the man and the woman's perspective. And it was spot on. It was spot on. And it made me realize like, I had some sympathy towards maybe a man's desire to not want to bring this into their marriage and to not have this a part of their life. And for me, I just struggled because I'm pretty strong-willed. And like, I'd always say to him, well, if I want a candy bar, I don't just go into a candy bar and rob, just take the candy bar and leave. Like, you have to say no. (laughs) Like... It, it it seemed so easy, but going to this conference helped me to see that it is it's deeper than just saying no. Yeah, actually, one of our previous podcast episodes we had um, talked about the chapter in uh, Kirk's book on "Hey, just quit," uh, and it's not always that simple. Something that's been built into a guy's life for three decades doesn't just stop. Yeah. Um, and there's lots and lots of reasons besides the medication of the pain, because a lot of addictions happen that way as well. Um, especially say alcohol, you're trying to medicate in numb pain, if you will. So, um, and that's what pornography attempts to do. Um, so what would you tell yourself that you had, um, that there is hope (laughs) Not when it happened (laughs) and not when he left and not when I started finding things and started learning of things. And you didn't feel the hope though at the moment. No, not at all. I mean, no. In fact, I just, I saw it was, it was hard to even have hope for each day. It was hard to wake up. It was hard to, it was hard to go to sleep. (laughs) Right. You weren't Um, getting a lot of sleep. No, not at all. It was, um, wow, it was probably eight months of tears and struggles and it, it, the journey was not easy. Um, I, I, I mean, I contributed truly to the Lord and the power of healing and the power of prayer and the, um, I feel in many ways today, like God's protecting me and my girls. <laughs> 
you know, my ex had indicated that he wouldn't want to bring it into a marriage, especially when I had waited for him, he had waited for me. So I had hope. And then I thought, well, gosh, (laughs) marriage, that didn't work. So surely when he has little girls, because man, I can't even imagine him envisioning that this could be one of his daughters. You know, this industry, some of it is voluntary, but some of it is forced as well. And that part is the part that makes me sad. Mm-hmm. And um, acceptance. I've always tried, you know, I, I get nervous for people because I think women so much go into the industry because they want to feel acceptance. But it does the opposite. It doesn't, I mean, you know, the long-term effect of it, I, I think it's the opposite of acceptance. Um I think that, um, uh, I'm sorry, what, what did you ask again? Well, we're, we're just talking about where was the hope for you, but would you be able to tell somebody? So now I'm thinking, you're talking to the person who just who went through this four weeks ago, for instance, six weeks ago, two yeah. months ago, a short time ago, okay? Let's pretend this person is sitting next to us here in this room. And all you see is a, a face full of pain, do you share, do you tell them there is hope and yeah. you can get through this? Do you say that to them? I do because of Jesus Christ. Um, when I accepted the Lord in my life, I thought of, you know, Second Corinthians five 17, I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So here I am a new creation with the new creation. I was made, I was given the promise, the promise of, I can't, Jesus says he can't guarantee that life is going to be easy and that it's going to be smooth and it's going to be worry, worry free. No, in fact, it's the opposite. It's going to have so many trials and tribulations thrown at us. Um, in, in dark times, I would always focus in James and I would always kind of put myself in, in the book of James and in all the struggles that, you know, are found in, in James and, um, I think that hope, if I was talking to somebody that was going through it right now, absolutely. But I do truly feel that hope has to come from Christ. And I say that because, you know, when I lost my mom, I didn't know the Lord. But I was, when I came to know the Lord, I was given that promise that he will stand, but he can't guarantee we're not going to have hardships, but he can guarantee that I will be walk beside you. And when I can't walk, when you can't walk beside me, I will carry you. And so when I lost, we had some twins that unfortunately had passed away. They were our first, it was our first pregnancy and um, they had made it halfway through the pregnancy and it was a very difficult time, but it was amazing to see God's hand in all of the healing and all of the testimony to others, the way that he brought um, others to, to Christ through that circumstance just and so I thought about that and I thought, okay, he gave me that promise and that promise doesn't have uh, stipulations on it. It doesn't say, well, only in this circumstance or that circumstance, it's in all circumstances. And so I remembered that. I remembered that, that when I was going through this, that's the only thing that gave me hope. I wasn't able to see it in the moment, but I had hope that he would provide for me. And man, I can't tell you 
how much he provided for me, whether it be people at my work or whether it be my church or whether it be in the neighborhood or whether it be my family or whether it be friends, whether it be it, it, so many people he put in my life at certain times to help me get through. I mean, even Mike, you coming, you know, to my office and just asking how I was doing and just saying, can I pray with you? And, um, you know, things like that, that gave me the hope and, and God lays it on our hearts when, when somebody's in need and somebody's, you know, might be hurting. And yet slowly, you know, a lot of it, I'll be honest, right after the fact was mere survival, but I absolutely saw his hand in my healing. I absolutely did. I think one of the things I struggled with the most was that um, I was at a breaking point. I don't know that I ever would have left the marriage because of the pornography. I threatened, but I don't know that I ever would have done it because I was so fixated on my commitment to him and it, my commitment to him before the Lord and before all of our family and friends. And I wanted to honor that commitment to either one of our graves. And so that part of it is still remains a little bit hard because I feel like, you know, this wasn't my choosing, but I, I'm not trying to um, encourage divorce. However, in nine years, it was not getting better. It was only getting worse. And the destruction that it was doing to me I think God was protecting me and my girls because there is hope. There's a new Kim. I've come out. Um, there's a new me in this. I feel like um, I, I feel like I'm. You know, it's there. There are struggles. I, I will be honest, but there's a. F- there's a freedom from the chains of this. I'm developing more confidence. I'm developing more esteem. Something I want to share with, with you guys that I think is really cute is, um, you know, and this is the way God works. He puts people in our lives. So he had put a, a very dear friend of mine in my life, and she was telling me a story about her and her little her little two-year-old. And she was talking about, you know, how she looks in her mirror and she talks about all these positive characteristics about herself in this mirror. And I don't, I think she just does it, right? And so I started thinking about it and I thought, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to try to build my girl's confidence. So every night after we brush our teeth, my two little girls are five and two, and they look in the mirror and we call it the I am's and they start doing their I am's. And I, I got to tell you for a two-year-old to, to look in the mirror and say, I am confident. <laughs> I am smart. I am brave. I am coot. I am nice. I can move mountains. And then my other daughter, the five-year-old, does it as well. And probably the second or third time we did it, I'll never forget the five-year-old said, okay, mommy, your turn. (laughs) And so here I am trying to teach my girls a lesson on confidence, on esteem, to have good self-esteem. You know, and I've got my little my little five year old telling me, Mom, your turn and you know, I looked in that mirror and it wasn't hard. Whereas five years ago I'd look in that mirror and I wasn't good enough because my husband didn't love me in the way that God designed us to be loved. So that 
I mean, if that's not an example of healing (laughs) and the way that God works in our lives, he put that friend in my life at that moment to tell me that story about her two-year-old. As a result, he gave me this ability to come up with this little cute little thing to help build my kid's confidence. And yet what he did in turn was open my eyes to who I've become. And I cry right now, but it's more tears of joy. Yeah. Freedom. I feel free. I feel free to be able to have my joy back and not feel, you know, it was funny because my ex always had said that I had anger. Now, what person doesn't have anger? Okay. Right. Um, and I did. I did. But the ironic part is the anger always stemmed from that because after he left, there was a year of no anger. And maybe anger towards him or frustration towards him. But when I think of anger, I think if people have an anger problem, then you see anger in all aspects of their life. You see it in their career. You see it in their driving. You see it in their friendships. You see it in their, you know, you don't just pick and choose anger. So I do believe in counseling. We talked about situational anger. In my case, it was very clearly situational anger. I would build and build and build because of the hurt and the damage that the the pornography had been doing to myself and to our marriage. And then I would have a moment. So um, there is hope for all of you out there, males and females, there is hope. But I really, I don't know that you, you have to be able to come forward with it. And just like everything, you have to work. I would have been willing to have worked through things. Um, You know, we had needed professional counseling. um, And I know that he he would probably deny some of this, but um, he had many, many, many jobs, six jobs in 10 years that we were together. Some of those were promotions, but some of those, unfortunately, were also a loss of job. And that causes a lot of hardship on a marriage. Um, it also causes a lot of hardship, I feel like, on the on the individual that has lost their, their job. And so it's easier to turn to things like that, to, to pornography. Yeah, again, it's, it's that medication, um, trying to numb something that's hurtful and, and yeah. painful. Um, so you answered a question that already I had been thinking about, and if you want to articulate it anymore, you're welcome to. But my question was, how have you changed through all of this now, a year plus later? What's new about you? What's different about you? You've already said self-confidence is one of them. Yeah. No anger is another one. Yeah. I think I live, you know, we don't know what tomorrow brings. I live each day and I just think about all the blessings that surround me and honestly, joy. Joy is what comes to my mind because I missed joy in my life for so many years. I had so much joy when I met him. I had joy like you wouldn't, like you couldn't imagine. And in our marriage, we had joy. And that joy, I feel, was slowly taken from me and continued to be taken from me to the point where I was faking some of the joy. I was faking the happiness. I was faking. And maybe subconsciously or unconsciously and consciously, right? We, you, can, you can get in a fight before church and you can go to church and sit there and pretend like everything's okay. 
Oh, yeah. That happens a lot. Yeah. So I think um, today I'm filled. I have my joy back. I get to appreciate. I don't take anything for granted. I, I took things for granted. I really did. And I feel like, you know, my role now is to honor Christ in everything that I do, uh, particularly my job and, and my girls. My girls are my everything. I am so blessed to have them a part of my life. And I just want to be a good role model and a good example to them. But it starts with, I can't be a good role model and example to them if I don't have confidence in myself. Yep. And there's every different, all all marriages are different. Not every marriage or not every person listening to this is going to have kids involved. Um, but the kids involved, having kids involved, the stakes go up even higher. And um, those moments where I, I know you had the most pain when we were first going, and you were first going through this and talking about this was when you'd talk about your girls. Yeah. And um, in my own story, I've, I've felt the deepest pain when I feel like I've hurt my kids. Yeah. Even if they don't even know it, I know it, and it yeah. hurts me. Um, there's, there's just another level of um, what, the, what this means if you continue down this path. Do you have anything else you want to share or add? Um, I really appreciate that you, you've been able to open up and, and talk about all of this right in the last uh, almost hour now. So it means a lot to me that you're willing to share. I hope it means something to someone out there, hopefully more than one person, many people out there, uh, that, that you can share this. Yeah, I mean, Mike, when you asked me about this and you know asked me to pray about it, Every single time I prayed about it and every single time I thought about it, the answer was, of course. Is this something I want to do? No. Who wants to relive the last, you know, it's a year in particular, but, you know, some of the most painful moments of my life. But at the same time, if this can help another marriage, if this can help put an end to an addiction that is more destructive than you think, then by all means, I'm going to continue to follow God's calling on this because one of the things we didn't do enough was talk about it. Mm. And you know, it's interesting because I didn't, when I went to counseling, we didn't talk about it. It was just like the elephant in the room. We didn't talk about it. Now my counselor knew about it. He had done premarital or he had done marriage counseling with us and individual counseling with me. So he had known about it, but it was just, you know, we, we were triaging per se in the medicine world. We were triaging at the, each, each week, each moment, each session with what was happening. And, and, and then as we, as I continued to heal and as we continued to work through our, my, my progress, I, I brought it up one day and, uh, it was it was enlightening. It was eye opening. It was, you know, it had always been the elephant in the room. I didn't want to read about it. I didn't want to learn about it. I didn't want to know about it. But you just wanted it to stop. I just wanted it to stop. Yep. And um, once I learned the devastation and the destructiveness that it has on marriages, on relationships, um. 
I think I was able to start turning my mindset towards healing because it was no longer, I was starting to see that if it, in in our case, I don't think it was ever going to stop. And if it was never going to stop, then what would my girls be exposed to? Because I can tell you, I wasn't the kind of mom that I am today because I didn't have joy. And parenting takes joy. Your kids need to see joy. They need to see us doing funny things like potty dances after they go pee pee in the potty. <laughs> you know, they need to see joy. Um, and, um, you know, I can honestly say it was probably hard for them to see that joy in the year, in the last year when he was gone. But I envision that, or I, I think what that would have been like for their entire life. And they don't deserve that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't necessarily condone divorce. However, you know, I I do wish at times that we had been able to professionally work through our situation. I wish he was more open with his men's group. I wish he was more open with his, with the, with understanding the devastation and destruction. Because like I said, he would tell you today that that wasn't the problem. And that's not, that's not, that's for God to judge. That's not for me to judge what the problem was. But, you know, I've been going to counseling now for a year. I over and over and over again own my my part of this. But evidence doesn't lie. Facts don't lie. And I'm seeing now, you know, that it likely contributed to job loss. You know, it, it definitely contributed to financial har- hardship, you know, and ultimately it led us down this path and the path of divorce. And, um, you know, I want, I don't want to leave this on a sour note. I want you all to know that I am in a really, really good place today. (laughs) I am happy. I am, I have no interest in dating ever again, (laughs) (laughs) but that's okay because, you know, I've got two young girls and they are my focus and I am so blessed I mean, blessed abundantly by the love that surrounds me. And all you got to do is spend 15 minutes with me and I, you can't not, um, you can't deny God's hand in all of this. I mean, truly the people he has put in my life, the circumstances, the opportunities and the blessings, you know, I am so thankful for my place of employment. I'm so thankful, like I said, for all of my friends and family that surround me and just love me and my girls through all of this. And we're all in a really good place right now. Yeah, your story is a beautiful example of God taking something pretty ugly and making it at least better and better for you. Yeah. I wish and I hope the best for, for your ex-husband too. I know you probably do too. I do. Um because we don't want to see men fall like that and, no. and just down this destructive path and, and pit. So we here in this podcast are about trying to help that. And I hope that this time with my friend here has helped us, helped you um, see not just the effects that it has, but that there can be healing 
and just give some insight into how to approach this early on. If, if it is something you're aware of and something that's happening in your life, please have the conversation, yeah. risk talking to risk each other, talking. He's right. <laughs> Talk to each other about it. it. It's, it's deeper and it's bigger than you realize, but it's not impossible to overcome. Um, we have tools there. We're not just the only tool out there, by the way, this podcast is one tool. The ministry of free indeed is one tool, but there are countless other tools. We think we do it pretty well, but you know what? If you know, I hope and wish that you could find that, you know, counseling is a great way to do it as well. So, um, I would like to, to finish us uh, with prayer. Do you mind if we finish with prayer? I think that'd be great. Okay. Our God and father in heaven, I, I thank you for the amazing privilege of just talking to my friend here and for the privilege of being able to hear this story. It's not the first time I've heard this story, but I, I realize it's probably the first time many have heard this story uh, today. And I pray that anything that comes from this story, even just one thing, maybe a few things could be able to be spoken into the lives of those who hear this podcast to be able to save, strengthen, reinforce uh, a, a marriage a life, relationships, parenting, whatever it might be, a life eventually. And so take this uh, this story, take this podcast and bring it far and wide to where people need to hear it. And for those listening right now, I speak healing into their lives. I speak the abundant blessing of God into their lives as well, to bring courage into their lives, to be able to share this and to talk about this that needs to be talked about so that a life in uh, a marriage can be strengthened and, and made better. I thank you for the the friendship that uh, that we have here as well, and I thank you for the new journey that uh, my friend here is on, and that she would continue to be uh, the amazing mom that she is, the beautiful woman that she is, um, and the person who I know she can be in you. And I pray that all would sense that you love so so very much. In that beautiful name, we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. This is the Free Indeed Podcast.